Welcome to Battleground Wisconsin. This is Robert Craig, Executive Director of Citizen Action of Wisconsin. We're again absent, uh, missing, I should say, our host, our Matt Brusky, who is on a uh, an expedition to Colorado for the movement. Uh, but we have uh, Rebecca Lynch, the uh, political director of the Wisconsin Working Families Party. So, Rebecca, thank you for joining us again. Thanks for having me. So, big, busy week. Uh, we're going to talk about all the healthcare development since the last show. Uh, all hell broke loose on healthcare after the show, which we'll get into. It looks like all hell is breaking loose on Foxconn again, so we will dig into that. We have a tacit announcement from Walker that he is running for re-election and, a, and his weighing in on the, on the on NFL uh, national anthem protests, which, of course, everyone's been waiting for Scott Walker's <laughs> thoughts on that. The whole country has waited. And then yet another vicious attack on women's health. But first, health care. So, Rebecca... Um, on Thursday, there was a weird chain of events, right? First of all, um, Governor Walker's insurance commissioner announced rate, the, rate in, the rates for 2018 for marketplace plans under the Affordable Care Act. In previous years, they've tried to suppress them, especially when they were good news. Uh, one year, they were the only, only state not to release them before the federal government did on November 1st when people could start signing up. This time there was this preemptive announcement that rates there would be huge increases of an average of 30 percent, 50 percent in many cases, even 100 percent in some cities. Uh, so you had that. And then the other shoe dropped, and it's hard to imagine these are coincidental, uh, that Trump that evening, last Thursday evening, announced he was pulling all of the payments, the cost-sharing reduction payments uh, under the Affordable Care Act that reimburse insurance companies for insuring low-income people and giving them lower rates, Dis threatening to stabilize the whole market and to spike health insurance rates even further. So were you surprised by this sudden, because it looked like the health care debate in Washington had died down since the failure of Trump Care 3 in the Senate, um, but all of a sudden, Trump has decided to, to, to go it alone and be a maverick-y maverick here to uh, cite Sarah Palin. Uh, it definitely caught me by surprise. I can't say I am surprised uh, because even though as of taping our podcast last week, we did, had no idea that this was going to be happening later in the day. Uh, it is a continuation of what we've seen, which is, um, as you put it, you know, Trump going alone. There's tremendous power in the executive to do lots of seemingly subtle things in the absence of congressional action. And, you know, if the goal, which it is, is to destabilize Obamacare um, or the Affordable Care Act, there are lots of things they can do. So last week we talked about how they had slashed advertising um, for, you know, people signing up for healthcare by 90%, slashed all the programs to help people um, assist them in signing up. This, I see, is like a continuation of those types of tactics. Uh, and I saw a tweet, I'm, I'm not going to get it exactly right, but uh, it was an analogy about President Trump's uh, treatment of uh, the Obamacare and healthcare. And it basically said, he was like, well, it's not my fault that it's a broken system and now we've got to fix it. And the analogy that this person, I can't remember who, on Twitter used was, you know, saying, well, it's not my fault they built the house out of wood while you're standing with a gas canister in hand and a lit, and a lit match. And so I think that's one of the things we've seen. Um, but one of... Something that uh, I want to talk about is all the advocacy that uh, Citizen Action has been doing in the state, uh, because it, you can feel really helpless when 
in the past, over the last several months, we've been able to lobby Congress and say, don't do this terrible thing. And now, because Trump is trying to bypass Congress in some ways, and we should talk about what's happening right. in the Senate and elsewhere, um, it can feel a little bit helpless because we can't lobby Trump necessarily. Uh, but there is a lot that we could do in the state to insulate us and protect us from the madman in the White House who's trying to destabilize the healthcare marketplace. I think you're totally right that it's stunning we have to pause and think about what this is to throw people off health care uh, despite their rates this way. It, it really much is like holding a, you know, gosh, you know, shouting fire in a crowded theater or holding a match to a, to a house made of wood that it, that it you know, is, is very burnable, is dried, dried out, trying to crash a train. We kind of assume our president is a responsible person who would never damage uh, the American people and would do the most responsible thing regardless, right? Even if they didn't like the Affordable Care Act, that they wouldn't actually take these sort of actions. But we're seeing the opposite here. We're seeing a level of immorality and irresponsibility that is stunning. And really, there will be blood on his hands if he gets away with this. The question is making that clear to the American people. I think you're also right that there's a powerlessness about how do you control, you know, the, the, the man with serious mental health issues in the White House. And uh, so there are things we could do at the state level and we could organize around. And so what we had done at CS National Wisconsin, working with some key progressive champions, uh, Representative Eric Genrich, who's a co-op member in Northeast Wisconsin, uh, and Senator, State Senator Latanya Johnson here in Milwaukee, had developed a bill in this summer that, that has badger care as a public option so that no matter what happens with the insurance industry or the various attacks on, on private insurance by President Trump and by the skyrocketing rates, people would have an option that couldn't be affected by that. And so we immediately turned that around and had a media call with Representative Genrich that got statewide coverage. And what it showed was that if you adopted this bill, which has no cost uh, to, to the state, okay, it just creates as an option people would use their tax credits uh, to buy into BadgerCare, basically. Overall, it would, for a 40-year-old, it would reduce rates by 24% statewide between, from 2017 to 18. So they'd be lower, whereas for a 40-year-old statewide, they'd be over 50% increase next year just for private insurance. And people could still choose the private corporate insurance if they wanted, but they would have this as an option. It's an option. It's not imposed upon anyone. And in some state places, it's even worse. I'll just give one example. In Green Bay, it's going to be 24% less if there was a badger public option. For private insurance, it's going to be 105% more. So we're talking about a doubling of rates in Green Bay under the status quo. And so you got to ask yourself, if you're a state representative or state senator in that whole area in Brown County and Northeast Wisconsin, because it's very high in Appleton as well, how can you justify that? To you, to, and so I think, there should, I think we should be calling for a special session. I think that we should be, and we're working on this, raising a drumbeat on this. And if Republicans will not respond to this, then it should be a huge election issue because healthcare is off the charts as an election issue now, thanks to President Trump. I think that's absolutely right. Uh, and I want to pick at something you said a few minutes ago about President Trump and uh, really taking a step back and looking at what he's doing. And he's, he is doing something to destabilize the market, uh, light a match to healthcare, hurt Americans. Uh, but now let's, let's take that view and look locally. You know, if what you said 
Um, if what you intimated is true, that the Walker administration coordinated with the Trump administration to release the rates um, earlier than they usually do to help lay the groundwork locally for the president's executive order, um, and even if it's not true, uh, they're certainly not doing anything to help protect us and stop it. And so at best, Governor Walker's administration is complicit in trying to blow up our and Wisconsin he was healthcare. immediately, Scott Walker, out with a quote saying that these rates all show that Obamacare is a disaster and needs to be repealed and destroyed immediately. So he was immediately out with that quote. Totally out with it. And the, everyone sees what's happening, right? It is openly being discussed. Steve Bannon, in the week since we last taped the podcast, came out and said, this is the goal. So everybody knows that the goal is to blow up healthcare and destabilize it. Uh, and Governor Walker is playing his part in that effort, in that conspiracy, if you will. He is playing his part, and he should be held responsible. And not only should he not be colluding to harm all the families that rely on a stable healthcare system, which is everybody, um, but he should be doing what Citizen Action is calling for with this special session and with this legislation to do everything we can to protect our state and make it an island of sanity as the rest of the country finds their own way to grapple or with what Or if he Trump doesn't, be accountable for people's 100% increases in health care and know who is responsible, Absolutely. Governor Walker and this legislature. And also to realize, because this is the problem with the, the right-wing conspiracy is, is that it tries to undermine faith in our own Democrat government to solve problems. So we need to make it really clear that this is very soluble. And bad, badger care, being able to bind to that is, a, is not the end of all health care reform. We need to get to Medicare for all, but to step in that direction. And it immediately creates a situation the cost-sharing reductions would, that what Trump is, has the power to pull would have no impact on the cost of badger care. We've already created the system. The public has. It works very well. It's a broader network than any other uh, private insurance plan. Why don't we use it to make sure everyone has access to something as vital as health care? It's just common sense. The only reason they don't want to is because they don't want Democrat government to be used for this sort of purpose, and they'd rather pe see people die than see us use our Democrat government to solve real problems like access to health care. Yeah, and politically, it's really curious, right? Because the people of Wisconsin have made clear again and again and again that this is what they want, badger care for all. You know, of all the folks who voted for Bernie um, in part of his, his promotion of single payer, of even folks across the state who maybe voted for Trump or other Republicans, people like Medicare. People want to expand Medicare. Like, we make that clear in poll after poll after poll. So in my mind, Governor Walker is subverting his own political needs to run for re-election to help President Trump, which is remarkable to me. And it's me. because they're fundamentally undemocratic. They don't want majority rule, really. You look at the whole range of policies, and so they're hoping they can do a bait and switch. But he doesn't really care, ultimately, whether people have access to health care. He cares about his reelection, and he is ideologically aligned with people who want to limit the ability of democracy to actually do things like this. Uh, and corporate interests are all that matter in this case, and private wealth. But Let's talk a little bit more about that and about the big compromise in the Senate that's go that, that they're trying to push um, after this break on Battleground Wisconsin. Welcome back to Battleground Wisconsin. This is Robert Craig, Executive Director of Citizen Action of Wisconsin. I'm here with Rebecca Lynch, Political Director for the Wisconsin Working Families Party. We were just talking about uh, Trump sabotage of health care, shockingly, late last week, and the huge rate increases uh, that Walker administration announced, timed along with Trump's announcement. 
and how we could uh, actually solve this problem by ha making badger care a public option, adopting a bill already in the state legislature that hasn't even received a hearing. One other piece on health care before we transition to all the Foxconn news, Rebecca, is, is that there's this Senate compromise where, which you know, American people like the idea of working across partisan lines, where Senator Lamar Alexander and uh, Senator Patty Murray, a Democrat and Republican, have come up with a compromise to stabilize the Affordable Care Act that would have a few Republican things in it, uh, like allowing the sale of catastrophic plans and more state flexibility for waivers, because the Trump administration has been accepting any state waivers to try to fix their health care systems as part of their sabotage effort, mm -hmm. but also continuing the cost-sharing reductions that uh, Donald Trump so recklessly is trying to pull with executive order. So there's a little bit of something here, but what's interesting, Rebecca, is that at first Trump said he liked the compromise. Then various Tea Party people in the House started screaming and yelling, and then he didn't like the compromise. So it went from something that the president might support to something the president opposes, and Paul Ryan has now come out against it. Yeah, no, I think that's, that's a critical point. And just to take a step back, you know, we talked about this a little bit in the last segment, uh, but a centerpiece of this bill, one of the important things about this bill is that it will require uh, the government to pay subsidies to fund some of these Obamacare mandates. So, you know, lower deductibles for low-income families, co-payments, uh, you know, things that would help keep health premiums low. And uh, it seems like a really... Or lower, anyway. Lower, lower, <laughs> yes. So, like, see, it's a very... Um, sane compromise. It is not what I would like to see. I would like to see single payer, um, but it is something that is sane. And as Robert just mentioned, you know, uh, President Trump did support it until he did it. Uh, and I, I'm glad that you kind of like wrap that up with talking about Paul Ryan because our local Congressman Paul Ryan is Trump's hitman in Washington and is completely lost uh, with a whole host of people in his district and across the country any credibility by essentially, you know, switching his positions based on what President Trump wants him to do. Uh, but again, this is like another move toward away from sanity, away from stable government, a stable marketplace. Well, and it shows that kind of with the extreme nature of the Republican Party right now, Trump and Ryan and the Freedom Caucus, et cetera, that there's no way to have this kind of compromise because what they won't actually agree to is, is that Obamacare can be stabilized, even though it obviously can be. In fact, it's only unstable at all because of sabotage. Uh, they don't want to admit that. And so, and they're willing to play Russian roulette with people's lives here because this will affect families' lives and livelihoods if they don't have insurance when they're unfortunate enough to have a major illness or a major injury. Uh, and... That is certainly the most important thing, um, for sure. I mean, the ethical and moral implications are are um, extremely upsetting. But since I am the political director of the Working Families Party, to be political yet again, this is, to me, similar as what I discussed in the last segment about Walker and what I think we're seeing across the country, which is that Republicans are being forced to take positions that hurt them politically, as they hurt their constituents, right? Hurt them politically in order to uh, help Trump, serve Trump, be in or Trump's favor. if they're called on it. Totally. They will have all sorts of uh, poll-tested words to try to say they're doing something opposite because key to the Koch brother playbook is not telling people what you're actually trying to do, telling them the opposite. 
And I think on a lot of things that works, and I think, you know, maybe not today, but another day we'll really dig deep into what they're calling tax reform. And that is a place where I think the coded words really work. Yep. But the people are vigilant on health care. And I've been throughout the first congressional district uh, since the early spring. And folks there, Democrats, Republicans, independents, are activated around healthcare and furious at Paul Ryan. And it is a huge gamble for him when he's in the race of his life, the first competitive race he's had in a long time, maybe the most competitive ever, um, for him to take the one issue that he knows all of his constituents are paying attention to and take the wrong position. I think that it is politically a really strange thing to do. Yeah, no, what I said on, because we had a couple media conference calls, you know, basically press conferences on the phone with reporters last week, one of them asked, well, will they'll ever pass Badger Care as a public option, right? People will buy into Badger Care. And I just said, the whole healthcare debate has changed with Trump. It is a much it, it is an issue now where if the public thinks that you are part of the problem and you were not helping on this, and in fact you're making their premiums rise or you're you're, you're making it harder for them to be able to have a plan where they can afford the copays and deductibles, they will be very angry and they may act on it. And so this is very perilous for Governor Walker for the state legislature, but even more for Paul Ryan because he's directly clearly part of this. So and the other thing we should say before transitioning is is that. We had praised Representative Genrich and State Senator Deltanya Johnson on the Batch Gear Public Option Bill. There's also a good package of prescription drug accountability bills that Senator John Erpenbach and Representative Deb Colstie put forward. And I said on the uh, in the press conference on the phone, pointed out uh, Narcoline, which is something where the price of it, this is what you need, you use when, you, when someone has an overdose and it saves your life if you've overdosed on heroin or an opiate. Um, it's an old drug. It's been around forever. The company has increased its price by 500%. And so that's an example of price gouging of the worst kind. It's as bad as like denying people food or water or charging them $1,000 for a bottle of water in a hurricane zone. And this is currently legal. All the, these bills would do is try to have transparency and accountability and then get better information. And the, the pharmaceutical industry came out saying, oh, this is terrible. It's all bureaucratic. We're working with all the stakeholders to solve this problem. And prices of medications are very reasonable, which is, of course, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, which is, of course, a lie. It's a complete lie. Uh, and their quote that said, uh, all healthcare stakeholders should work together. Uh, in my, I, I don't believe that they are thinking of patients and advocates for patients. I think they're thinking of industry stakeholders, people who make money off of healthcare, um, figuring out how they can all continue to make money. And that's related to the rates, those big rate spikes, leaving prescription drug company corporations to do what they want and charge whatever they want based on what Wall Street wants them to do to maximize profit. That's a big part of the problem, one of the big price drivers. Uh, but there's another big price driver, uh, cost driver, I will say, here in Wisconsin, and that is the illustrious Foxconn Speaking of Wall Street, yeah. Yes. Uh, and so there's news this week on Foxconn that we want to begin to dig into in this segment. Uh, interestingly enough, that we've not actually signed the deal, despite all of the done deal and of the passage in the Senate and the Assembly and the Walker press conferences. His discredited jobs agency, WEDEC, has been having private meetings, not, not open to the public, about what they're going to do. In fact, uh, Senator Jen Schilling has done a good job calling out the secrecy. And this week, they apparently delayed, and Tim Carpenter, 
a Democratic state senator who's been voting against the majority position, the Republicans at WEDEC, has said that there's a technical problem that could actually undermine the whole deal, though he can't say what it is because it's a private proceeding. So that's uh, tantalizing, isn't it, Rebecca? He called it a nuclear bomb, which is very mm-hmm. tantalizing um, and upsetting, right? And this is something that I think a lot of us spoke about early on in the in the Foxconn conversation. Uh, the track record of this company and of companies like this company that seek these types of deals is that the initial announcement is an opening salvo and they will try to get everything they can from the public, from our water, from our taxpayers, from our land. They're talking about using eminent domain, right? On and on and on. Wall Street says get all the profit you can possibly get, period. There's no like, oh, we can't go that far. That's not fair to the people of Wisconsin or Racine. There's nothing like that. Exactly. And unfortunately, uh, we have elected officials who have begun these conversations with the posture of whatever you need. Everything that belongs to the people belongs to you. What's yours is, what's ours is yours. Yeah, yeah. Or what's theirs, talking about us, is At is your yours. profit. Absolutely. Um, but, you know, it's like, I, I don't relish this. This is like very sad. And one of the things we talked about, again, you know, that is typical of Foxconn, typical of companies like Foxconn, companies like Foxconn seeking these subsidies is that this is an opening salvo. And what we've seen in Pennsylvania and what we've seen elsewhere is that sometimes these deals don't even come to fruition uh, because they are trying to get as much as they can. And it is no big deal for them to walk away. And so uh, I don't know what this so-called nuclear bomb is. Uh, Carpenter has more hints. He says yeah. they made a tremendous error that would force the deal to fall apart. And he said they're hiding the contract. Uh, they will not allow us to see the contract before we voted on it in the state legislature. So the WEDEC, WEDEC is interpreting it. So this is all. But uh, we keep hearing from CEO Hogan. Uh, he's the one who wrote in all the limousines, we think. There was a big limousine thing that came out in the audit, 40000 for limousines. He's in Israel now, supposedly helping us uh, economically. So he says they're going to take all the time they need to, to get it right. And so we'll and- see how that develops. There's actually, uh, as we're coming up on a break, even more about Foxconn. And so let us take a brief break from Battleground Wisconsin, and then there's even more interesting news about Foxconn coming up next. Welcome back to Battleground Wisconsin. This is Robert Craig, Executive Director of Citizen Action of Wisconsin, and I'm joined by Rebecca Lynch, the Political Director for the Wisconsin Working Families Party. In the last segment, we were talking about Foxconn and the delay in the contract and Senator Tim Carpenter's uh, kind of tantalizing uh, statements that there's a nuclear bomb in the middle of it that might undo the whole deal, but it's all secret, so we don't know for sure other than it's delayed. But we do know something else, what also leaked out this week, is that Foxconn is going to be required to hire a CPA, an independent CPA, uh, a certified public accountant or firm, uh, to verify the job numbers, the jobs they're supposed to create to get the gigantic historic subsidies. And that's fascinating, Rebecca, given that one of our major critiques in Citizen Action Wisconsin, our co-op members around the state, held a lot of events and put a lot of pressure and uh, against this deal. Uh, I said at the original testimony that it's a scandal waiting to happen because it's proven in the state audits that, fi- that WEDEC, Governor Walker's jobs agency, is unable to verify 
the number of jobs any company they're, they're subsidizing is creating, let alone for the, lar the largest economic development deal in, Amer in Wisconsin history, the fourth largest in American history. And so this seems like a tacit admission that WIDEC can't do it. But the question is, do we trust some CPA firm hired by Foxconn to verify it? Like that's going to be more trustworthy than WIDEC. Yeah, so this is like stunning. So take take a step back and look at WIDEC for a second. Spent, what was it, $40,000 on limousine rides for people in WIDEC. And the Audit Bureau in May said they are still do not collect the information they need to verify whether any of the jobs they're paying for uh, in corporate subsidies are actually being created. <laughs> I, the entire purpose of yeah. WIDEC is to create jobs and figure out how to create jobs. And they cannot do that. Their audit said they couldn't do it. Now they're hiring a CPA to do it on this incredibly massive project. Uh, and so that is disconcerting. But then to your other point, uh, Robert, I, no, I don't think that we should trust the CPA that's hired by the Walker administration to tally these numbers. I mean, I this, it's unclear whether Walker's hiring them or whether Foxconn's hiring them. Whoever is hiring yeah. them, they've they've <laughs> got a one. horse in this fight, right? They 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 want someone. Uh, who's going to put out numbers that make them look good. And probably not not subject to open records requests. I even wonder if this is an end around on any open records requests about Foxconn's job creation. Yeah, totally. And there are a lot of ways that you can count jobs or calculate jobs. Um, well, Weedex invented some. Like they, have <laughs> one, they have a term that uh, no one else in the country uses called jobs impacted. So... It's absolutely absurd. For example, you could say that you've impacted all the jobs of all the uh, coalition partners you have if you ever gave them any regrants, you see, uh, that kind of thing of money, right? That's that insane. Jobs impacted. That's insane. So, so I think it's stunning, and we'll see how this develops. We know in the financial disaster that uh, public accounting firms were more than willing to do the bidding of... Uh, of the banking industry and to say these subprime mortgages were all like wonderful and AAA rated, all the bond agencies and the number of accountants there and county accountants generally. So they really will develop things for who pays the piper, right? Absolutely. It's like trusting someone else's lawyer, absolutely, right? Absolutely, absolutely. Exactly that, though there are some very good lawyers that we should trust, but not the ones that work for <laughs> Foxconn, okay? I'm not going to. I'm not going to engage in lawyer bashing. <laughs> but you had seen Rebecca. You, we were chatting beforehand that. Uh, Apparently, there's some press out there that Michigan, in particular, maybe Ohio, had bid even more than Wisconsin for Foxconn, and we and we got this great prize anyway. So there's an article in the Journal Sentinel this morning. Um, we are taping in the morning as well, and so it just came out that uh, indicates that Michigan bid uh, 3.8 billion dollars for Foxconn. So why is this significant? Um, on the one hand, it uh, takes a claim by the Walker administration that many of us scoffed at that said that we were actually outbid by one other state, but we got it because we're so wonderful. Um, and so at its face, it seems like, oh, this like might actually be true. Whether or not that's a good or bad thing, we'll get to. But uh, really, is it true? And so you look at the numbers, and you, Robert, had pointed out to me that with the local subsidies we're talking about with Foxconn, we're talking about more than $3 billion in Wisconsin. We're talking about $3.7 billion. Uh, but also that we have the manufacturing tax credit here. That's with the local subsidies, right? With the local, yeah. right. So creating this like huge subsidy that isn't counted in that original $3 billion. Uh, and then in the same article, it mentioned some other states that didn't come quite as close to, say, Michigan and Wisconsin, um, but they included Ohio, they included North Carolina, they included Pennsylvania. Uh, and, you know, 
our state, in addition to offering these tax credits and these huge incentives, is a state where the labor law has been so degraded uh, that we have right to work, that we do not have the right to unionize in the way you do elsewhere. And how could that not also be something that they look at? So that at? would give us an advantage, I put in quotes, over Pennsylvania and Ohio, but not North Carolina and Michigan, I believe. Uh, but there's another thing that the Journal Sentinel and its intrepid reporting is not mentioning, and that is it was a different starting point because Walker had abolished most taxation on manufacturers, the infamous manufacturing agriculture tax credit that's over half a billion dollars for cost in the next budget. So these other states may still tax manufacturing, which means, and we're not even counting that in the three billion. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. That's why the, the three billion the state is paying are cash payments because there's going to be no tax owed. So if you add the value of that, and I've not seen it calculated, it's probably another couple billion. So probably our bid with the local, with the state, and with that, if I'm right about the two billion, is closer to six billion. Right. Not, not to mention our water and right. our environmental restrictions or lack thereof when it comes to Foxconn. So. Our willingness to uh, completely abrogate. So Walker's attack on the DNR, the cleaning out of the scientists, all of that um, probably came into play, <laughs> right? And access to a giant water source that we're going to let them totally degrade. We'll see if the Great Lakes Compact ever comes into play on that because other states and provinces in the Great Lakes are supposed to have a say in how we use Great Lakes water. So right, right. we'll see if that develops. So Foxconn not over, right? And it's certainly not over electorally because I think it's the political dynamite. Though I've also, as I've said before, think that Democrats need to offer bold alternatives, not just be against Foxconn because people really do... D demand and need a whole lot more jobs, good jobs, and economic opportunity. So, but speaking of elections, yeah, uh, there was a big election in Racine, right? There was. So this past Tuesday, there was a special election to elect a new mayor for the city of Racine, which, as listeners will know, is in that same county where we're talking about Foxconn being located. Uh, it was a very competitive contest, uh, very competitive. There were two candidates in this general, uh, a nonpartisan race, but one was Democrat Corey Mason, who's been a state rep, a legislator for the past 11 years, a former, uh, former worker at the AFT, part of their political program. Political director, yeah. Political director. Which is a kind of worker. It is kind of worker. I'm a worker, <laughs> that's for sure. Um, and then he's a political director of the AFT. And then uh, his opponent was Alderwoman Sandy Widener, who, um, you know, her, her partisan leanings... Um, in her eyes, um, she claimed to be a Democrat during this race, but 40% of her donations were from people who uh, donate to Republicans, donate to Scott Walker. She ran on a platform that was against, the, against increasing the living wage. She said $15 an hour would remove people's incentive to work hard. She ran against early voting. She I said, love that. We should, we should slow that down. So <laughs> yeah. uh, how would that be that, that being given a living wage would reduce your incentive? because you're, you're more incentivized if we keep you at a starvation level? I guess so. That is what she said at a debate. Yeah, and I think that's a that's a Repo old Republican talking point against raising the minimum wage. Um, and then she said at the at the last debate, she reminisced about the old days when everyone used to vote on election day and you couldn't vote before. And she, you know, would not commit to increasing early voting. And this is... I like the old days when you had a poll tax and a <laughs> literacy test and... Had intimidation on top of that, just in case any of the people that the elite didn't want to vote tried to. 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's remarkable. Um, you know, there was a study that came out a couple of weeks ago that put Racine as kind of ground zero for voter suppression. And we saw it yesterday. Um, a progressive alderman, John Tate II, took someone to vote for the first time and he didn't have all the identification he needed to register. So John Tate took him home. He got it. He went back. But on that route back and forth, he said, well, would you be voting today if I weren't driving you back and forth? And he said, no. Um, so we know all of us listening, all of us in this room right now know that, uh, voter suppression is real and alive. This study says it's real and alive in Racine. Um, but the reason why the mayor's race is particularly important when it comes to elections and who gets to vote is that they get to hire, um, the election clerk. They get to decide, is it no early voting? Is it two weeks? Is it four weeks? Do they have satellite locations? Do they not? And so this is a huge win in that regard. And then the last thing I'll say is that, you know, Corey Mason ran on a very strong public education platform, pushing back against efforts to take over racing schools, pushing back against efforts to resegregate them by um, having the villages secede from the city. And so, you know, we should take the win. I mean, we can talk about his positions on Foxconn and other things, but we should take the win um, right in Paul Ryan's backyard. This is a meaningful victory. Well, and Corey's someone that progressives can work with, uh, even if we, we disagree with him on Foxconn, and I think he was probably judging that in terms of the mayor's race. He and I go back to the old Ed Garvey campaign. So he was field director for the last populist progressive candidate to get the Democratic nomination. So he's someone we can work with. And I think we can do a lot of good economic things to try to hold Foxconn accountable with him and to actually create living wage jobs in Racine, which as much as anywhere in the state really needs them. It's very exciting. Yeah. So with that... Uh, we need to take a break. This is Battleground Wisconsin. When we come back, looks like Governor Walker is going to try to stay around. Welcome back to Battleground Wisconsin. This is Robert Craig, Executive Director of Citizen Action of Wisconsin. I'm with Rebecca Lynch, Political Director of the Working Fa Wisconsin Working Families Party, though maybe eventually the whole Working Families Party. <laughs> So she says, oi, showing her New York roots. Anyway, so Governor Walker had a soft announcement of his reelection this week with a splashy video with all sorts of beautiful images and him riding a Harley around the state and can't wait for his alarm to uh, go off every day so he can help people. He just can't wait. And then we got a kind of whitewashed uh, view of his of his time in office during this slick video where he says he is open for business, Wisconsin is, their, their favorite slogan, with a picture of Foxconn, done deal, staying there with Paul Ryan, of all people. And then he balanced the budget, never mind the whole budget impasse and the massive debt uh, that he is loading upon the state. Debt he complained about that was much lesser under Jim Doyle, uh, that he's lowered taxes, didn't say for who. <laughs> for, for big corporations like Foxconn, quite frankly. Um, and then he says that, uh, that he spent more money than schools on schools, never before, never mind population increases and the rate of inflation. It's not really more, right? Uh, but nice and sleazy and misleading. Uh, he talks about great test scores and uh, graduation rates, like he has anything to do with those things. And in fact, they, they were high when he took office. He um, talks about making college affordable because he froze tuition, hasn't done anything else, right? And, and costs are super, super high with no real action on it, right, already. And it just hollows out UW if you just freeze tuition and nothing else. And then he uh, 
most outrageously to me, I guess they're all outrageous, but especially outrageous, is on health care. He says that uh, we have among the highest rate of people insured in the country, which we had when he took office and which he has done much to damage uh, through his policies, as we talked about even earlier in the podcast. And then, of course, one thing he doesn't say, there's an image of him running by windmills, like he has anything to do with alternative or clean energy or, uh, or the transition we need to make to save the planet and the species. So, Rebecca, am I being too hard on this? No, I think that Governor Walker is in a really tricky political position because he is running for re-election. So this is not his formal announcement that will come in a couple weeks. Uh, but the press all feels like they have to uh, report those, like every candidate gets their announcement. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's something that's handed to them to report. Not much work involved. But, uh, you know, but he's running for re-election. Uh, he'll announce it formally, but he's running. And so he has to run based on his record. And so he has to present a state of Wisconsin that is positive, that he is making positive change. And, you know, the the video says there's more to do. But let's look at the state of Wisconsin right now. The opioid epidemic is out of control. His attack on public education, in spite of the lie about how much he's funded it, has resulted in rural areas not being able to get any teachers, right? We've seen just, like, massive turnover in terms of our teachers, teachers fleeing the state. And has caused our best teachers to flee. It is been the single hardest hit on our public education system, parts of the state where people would move. Let's like improve Racine. education by cutting salaries. Why don't we do that for legislators and governors and CEOs? Right? <laughs> <laughs> no, totally. And, you know, there is unemployment, there's underemployment. You know, I personally, as a relatively young person, I'm very offended by his claim that they made college affordable. College is absolutely unaffordable. Uh, we do not have good jobs for ourselves, for our families. We are in student debt. You, f- quote unquote, freezing the tuition really does not do Maybe anything. Maybe he could ride the Harley into the middle of any, choose any public university campus and many private university campuses in the state and ask the students if they think it's affordable. <laughs> I mean, see how they'd respond to him. I, I, really see, I really see this video as... Now, by the way, the, gov- the idea the governor's out about the state on his own on the motorcycle. <laughs> the man doesn't have public events. They're all staged events in, in, in private corporate venues, right? And now he's, you know, he's just walking around the state, riding around the state, talking to folks. Yeah, yeah, totally regular guy. I mean, I, I really see this video as an indication that he is very scared. And if I were Governor Walker in, you know, November 2016, watching the election results, I would be very scared. Because if there's one thing people in Wisconsin across party lines made clear is that they are very unhappy with the direction the state is going in and and their communities and what is happening in their lives. And that has been on his watch. Right. So nine of the 10 fastest growing uh, occupations in Wisconsin are poverty wage sectors. People in, across the state and our rural areas think there's no opportunity. They're working two to three jobs and their their kids don't stay because there's no opportunity there, right? And there's out-migration from those areas. Name a Scott Walker policy that's helping with that. You know, what industry is he building? He has He's going to do Foxconn. It's unpopular and it doesn't even help most of the state. It actually, everyone pays for something that only helps Foxconn for the most part because we could produce triple 
quadruple the jobs if we spent on education, spent on renewable energy, spent on healthcare instead, made direct investment, rather than waiting for some big corporation to plant itself here and fleece us. And by the way, I'm sure he's going to want to bid for Amazon. That's the current public fleecing going on, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I think, you know, not only is this video an indication that he is running scared, but his comments this week about the NFL, um, which blow my mind. Hasn't everyone been waiting for Governor Walker <laughs> to weigh in? You want to talk about that, Rebecca? He, he wrote a letter to, like, Roger Goodell, the commissioner, and to the head of the union, uh, NFL Players Union. Like, they're, they're waiting to hear Scott Rosser, Walker's thoughts. And what are his thoughts, Rebecca? Uh very strange. He says, I believe people should have the right to protest, but then goes on to say, but they don't have the right to protest the flag, um, that we should be patriotic and instead speak out on domestic violence. Cause Which apparently- is an odd pivot. It, you know, and a little bit of a jab because there have been a few NFL players. I don't think a higher proportion in the general population, but they're just better known. They're, they're celebrities, right? Yeah, I, I mean, <laughs> you know, I do have in major concerns about, um, you know, the leniency that we in public life show people who um, commit like atrocious violence against other people, um, including women, including people in their personal life. Um, but yeah, the, 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 the letter is very strange. I guess it was D Domestic Violence Awareness Week or month. Um, so all of this done, and he's discovered that there's a domestic violence problem in the country, thank God. And he's done so much about <laughs> it. What are his policies? Oh, yeah, he doesn't believe in policies. Right. So what are tax cuts? They got, people won't be have People, domestic violence is caused by big tax bills, though he's not really lowered them for most people. But let me, let me talk about the first part of the response, okay? It says, speaking up for what you believe in is profoundly American idea. So he's trying to sound like he's not against the First Amendment. He'd be feel very offended by what you said, Rebecca. But disrespecting our flag and the men and women who have fought to protect and defend our country is not American in the slightest. So you have a right to say something, but it's un-American speech. It does harken back to like things like McCarthy and un-American activities committee and witch hunts, right? But the second thing here is, is that does it, First of all, this whole idea that there, it's a kind of like rather than an argument about public good, right? It's this idea that there's something sacred and that if you, if you, it's profane ever to violate this sacred thing. So ever not standing for the national anthem violates some sort of thing that's, that, that's offensive on its terms. This is a very, this is a, conser a conservative idea that somehow you have to revere the symbol, not its substance, that the symbol has more, more value than the substance, say the First Amendment, right? But then, and I, this is what's offensive about the whole right-wing position, what on earth, why does this disrespect people fighting in wars for the United States? Why does, since a lot of them are people of color, a lot of them come back to no opportunity, a lot of them come to the same kind of police tactics if they're an African-American man who serves in the military that are faced by people who don't serve in the military if, you, if you're an African-American man, right? Uh, so what does this have to do with that? I mean, it was the idea like back in the Bush era where they, they had all the stickers, support our troops, like anyone opposing the Iraq war wasn't supporting troops, right? In fact, we're the ones who want to take care of our troops, our heroes, after they get back. They're not. And we don't want to fight unnecessary wars there just for political purposes to help a president like George Bush or Trump, for that matter. Sure. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's so the there's a couple of really interesting things happening here. One is what you just mentioned, and it's worth pointing out for anyone who um, isn't familiar that Colin Kaepernick actually started kneeling because one of his teammates who had served overseas, um, I think it was in Afghanistan, 
said that that was a sign of respect that they show soldiers who have been killed in battle. Um, they kneel to show a sign of respect. And he said, wow, that's, that's right. really powerful. You know, I'll do that instead of sitting. Um, but, you know, to make a stand um, on behalf of, you know, black and brown people, you know, for the dignity of black lives in this country. And that is what he chose to do. The second really interesting thing that's happening is that this pivot to talking about domestic violence is a tried and true method of people in power to take marginalized groups and pit them against each other. We saw that done very effectively in 2016. The majority of white women voted for Donald Trump, and that is something that the right is going to continue to try to do, and the only path forward is solidarity with all people, and I think on behalf of black lives. That's great analysis, Rebecca, and it's like his whole political strategy to pit working people in, in, around the state against working people in Milwaukee based on race, for example. It's the divide and conquer thing, right, that he expressed in, in his anti-union activities. So it's the same thing. He's trying to, and so that that's very trenchant. So we're about out of time. We did not get to the latest attack on, uh, on women's health, uh, restricting how the UW-Madison could actually train its doctors to make sure they can do the whole range of, of, of reproductive health. So we'll have to talk about that next time. We'll provide some links on, on the dedicated uh, Battleground Wisconsin uh, uh, part of our website at citizenactionwi.org. But until next week, uh, this is Robert Craig at Citizen Action Wisconsin, and you've been listening to Battleground Wisconsin. Thank you for Rebecca Lynch from the Wisconsin Working Families Party for joining us this week. And until next week, have a great time here in Wisconsin. <laughs>